White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. The soul of summer in Columbus. The long weekends, the return of festivals, the connection with friends on a rooftop under the stars. The just five more minutes while on an adventure with your tiny travelers. Long live summer and the exploration of Columbus's neighborhoods. Discover itineraries from your favorite Columbus residents like Jenny Britton and Coyote Peterson and learn how to make this summer one to remember. Plan every detail every minute of summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash liveforward. All right, welcome back to the Razzball Prospect Podcast, powered by Prospects Live. This is your host, Ralph Lifshitz. I'm, of course, here with my main man, Lance Brozdowski. We've been on a week hiatus while Lance was out on the West Coast scouting UCLA. I think he was out there for other reasons, actually. But he did see a lot of USA ba- UCLA baseball, which uh, is always a good take. It's a loaded team. Uh, we'll talk to him a little bit about that. But we have even bigger news. I want to talk about this first, Lance, before we kick it over to you. That's, of course, Manny Machado signing with the San Diego Padres. I think this ties in a little bit to the prospect world. That's why we'll open the show with it, just because I think, you know, them having the number one system in baseball as ranked by Baseball America. I think when we do our system rankings, probably leading up to the season sometime, we'll probably have the Padres number one. It's just such a deep system. You had the pleasure. And I think, uh, 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 I would say honor, honor of writing about the San San Diego Padres and you're close to Fort Wayne, which I think, you know, is a huge bonus uh, for you in terms of the baseball you've been able to take and the prospects you've been able to see. One of the reasons that Manny Machado signed there, I think, is because of the potential flexibility that they have. We'll talk a little bit about the build in a minute, but certainly the prospects they have in the depth of that system and sort of, you know, the bright future on the horizon for San Diego. I'll kick it over to you, Lance. Sort of welcome to the show, of course. And what are your thoughts, man? You're you're the big San Diego guy amongst <laughs> the Prospect Live uh, crew. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. I'm I'm kind of surprised, honestly. I thought he was going to the White Sox, or honestly, I still thought there was a small chance he was going to the Yankees. But this is huge. I think the biggest thing is just really what it does to their their contention window, and by that I mean how does it affect some of the prospects that are kind of on the cusp. You know what I mean? I'm talking about guys like Tatis and even some guys a little lower in that double-A team um, in terms of where they go and how aggressive they are with him. And in turn, whether the Padres have any kind of confidence and patience to maybe wait for them or rather try to make a push in 2019, 2020. And by that, I mean consolidate some of these prospects into major league pitching, which is what they need to contend. So in my opinion, I don't think you should do that. I think you should probably kind of wait and have that window open in late 2020, early 2021. And even if you're waiting for Machado to be 28 and you have him then, you still get Machado for two years prior to that where you're going to be successful and probably not as much of a dumpster fire as, you, as a team as you've been in the past. But overall, I just I, I like the move. I just I'm really interested to see if they now want to actually think they could contend, which I just don't think they could do with the Dodgers this year. So therefore, I don't really think 2019 is the year. And then 2020, the Dodgers, I don't think look too much different in terms of a team. So 
I would wait. I would wait for some of these starting pitchers to come up. Wait for Paddock. Wait for uh, guys like Morejon. Let's see what Baez is. Let's get like um, Logan Allen up there and some other guys and actually see if they could flesh out a rotation of like three or four starting pitchers who are pretty good and then maybe go into an opener in that four or five slides as opposed to going after a guy like Kluber who maybe will help you out for this year next year. But after that, he's going to be what? Like 35-ish or whatever. And then at that point, you're kind of like... Why am I having these 35-year-old on my team when I have four other starting pitchers in my lower uh, uh, minors that are coming up very soon? But anyways, I, I don't know. Yeah, on the, on the prospect side of things, I guess my question for you, Ralph, is whether you agree with me. Do you actually think this kind of accelerates or decelerates any of the timetables? I think it should just kind of keep them stable. I don't think the Padres should really try to contend in 2019 or even 2020. I think this is like a 2021 contention team. I think they'll be serviceable this year. They could squeak into a second wild card, fantastic, but I don't think they're really poised to make a run. Yeah, I know. And I, I would agree with that. I yeah. think that, you know, if there is, you know, some like 3% chance that everything really clicks this year, and a lot of it would have to do, I think with not only maybe somebody coming up like a Chris Paddock and giving them like 80 really strong innings or 90 really strong innings at the major league level, there is some whispers that he's going to be, you know, assigned to triple A El Paso mm-hmm. uh, out of camp and could be looking at, you know, about around 150 innings. So there's an opportunity that he could make, you know, I guess 16, 17 starts maybe at the major league level. Uh, that's an off chance, but if he comes up and I think he, he slots in and some of these other guys like Eric Lauer, um, you know, takes a step forward, maybe Matt Strom, um, you know, finally gets his opportunity to start and we know how good his stuff is. This is a guy with a really good fastball and some plus secondaries as well. And a deep pitch arsenal. I think that maybe those guys all click. We know they have some bullpen arms and then, you know, they start to fill in the pieces without some of these other, you know, prospects that have come through the system that are a little bit closer, whether it be, uh, you know, Quantrill or maybe Knicks. Mm-hmm. And I know we, we kind of look at them as back end starters. At least I personally do. And I, I know you could probably throw a few more out there, but I think they're real high talent arms in the system are probably two years away. When you look at Patino and Gore and maybe even Weathers, if you're a Weathers guy, I'm, I'm certainly not, but, um, you know, Baez, you know, if he sort of turns the corner, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's what the question is, is where does the starting pitching come from? Do they deal from some of this and, and then, you know, make a push to grab, you know, a Kluber, whoever it is that, that might be potentially available. Um, if that happens, I wonder if it if it does push maybe to to tease his timetable a little bit. But if there is an opportunity to compete, I mean, you know, once once they get that extra arm year, I I don't know if they really need to worry so much about Super Two or any of that sort of stuff. And I don't think I think Super Two is always overstated. It's that extra year arbitration by just going a little bit past you know whatever that initial cutoff date is in April or whatever it might be. So. I think there's an opportunity there. A lot of that depends on Tatis. If he's the guy that we saw over the course of winter ball, where he was just seemed to be hitting everything and he looked fantastic in the field, et cetera, et cetera. If he's that guy, well, he may push his way up to the major leagues in, in may, but, um, everything could has to break. Right. And like I said, I think it's a really small chance. I think we're really looking at 2020, but they're going to be able to sort of change the environment, change the tone around the team. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that, is this sort of long-term strategy that, you know, Preller has been allowed to sort of execute that's culminated in this. And it's funny, you know, he, this is the biggest free agent contract, I believe in American sports history, because it's 10 years, $300 million. Um, the reason they were able to do that, it's going to allow them to stay at, you know, an average payroll and still be able to spend about 20 to $30 million more because they've taken on a bunch of dead money that comes off the books after 2019. So I think always what the plan was is they're a year ahead. We'll see what culminates and what clicks. They'll get some guys, some opportunity really with, you know, sort of in, in sort of, I don't want to call it this necessarily, but sort of a low pressure or carefree free major league environment where it's not so much about, you know, winning a hundred ninety games or getting into the playoffs as much as it is about playing quality baseball, <clears throat> you know, getting these guys reps, getting these guys at bats and setting up for, 20, you know, 2020 to 2025, which I think is really what the window is. So they're going to be about a hundred million next year. They've been spending, I think about 120 over the last few years with some of the dead money that they have. A lot of that comes off the books. Once that's off the books next year, they're going to have, like I said, maybe 20 or $30 million to spend. That's with Hosmer. That's with, you know, Machado. And of course, Tatis, Urias, and a lot of these other guys are going to be one year older. 
Um, we'll see how the, the outfield shakes out. I think, I think Fran Reyes is at least an interesting player. You know, I don't know about Hunter Renfro, Manny Margot. We'll see if he ever gets going. Uh, you, got, you know, Frenchie Cordero, but there's a lot of players with some opportunity. There's some depth there. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things that they do have working in their favor that, you know, if one guy doesn't click, they have some other options that are major league ready and some even better players, you know, behind them that can sort of take their time in developing. It, it's going to be a really interesting experiment sort of come to life over the next few years in terms of what actually happens with this team. But I think, I think Machado was a big piece for them because it, it, it allows them to now fit in these guys and sort of take the pressure off them being the guy they're paying him to sort of be that guy as well. Going to have money. They got all the prospects they need. They're going to have another high draft pick this year. I think they picked what five or six, 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 you know, in a good draft, you know, they could add a bat. They could, you know, potentially add a, a catcher, you know, um, if, if, you know, Lang liars is there. I mean, I know he obviously broke his helmet bone. We'll talk about that in a little mm-hmm. bit, but I don't know. They're just in a really great position. And, and there's a lot of different things that they did that were a little quirky and, and unusual, but from all reports, you know, the, the, the ownership and Preller are in lockstep, the ownership's willing to spend some money. It's a nice ballpark. They want to get fans in there. They want to have a winning team. They've been investing in terms of player development. They've been investing in terms of technology and analytics. Let's see what happens. I'm, I'm excited about the Padres. And we know that they kill the backfield scouting. They've, that's why they've been able to yeah. steal some of these players the last few years. So I think they found some market inefficiencies, and they've pounced and taken advantage of it, and Machado might be one of them. I would agree, yeah. In a, in a weirder landscape in terms of uh, dollar value going to guys, you get a guy at 26 and you sign him to this big of a deal. I think you're going to get a lot of surplus value in those first couple of years. So even if he's poor at the end of it, it's going to it's gonna pay off. But, yeah, we'll keep an eye on kind of how these guys develop. But um, I think this is like a 2021 contention team with uh, some some years of maybe, maybe good play. You know, they're going to be like a high 70-win team. I don't think they're going to get over that. But you don't know. Twins got over that last year or two years ago, and they were uh, not that really good. <laughs> so you never know. You never know what's going to happen. So. <laughs> but, Ralph, college baseball started this past weekend. The f- yeah, other weekend? Yeah, we're recording on a Saturday night on the 23rd. So it was the prior yeah, weekend. Yeah, second like week. The, this is the, the second 15th week. 15th or whatever. Yeah, second weekend. So we're in the second week of college, base- college baseball, but we wanted to kind of dig into – what we saw in the first weekend as well as maybe some in the midweeks. I know they had some games played on like Tuesdays and Thursdays and stuff like that, but a uh, cool little tournament going out in salt river right now. Um, college classic with um, Oregon state and a variety of other teams that are really, really good. And we have JP from prospects live down there. Again, all those looks So check him out on Twitter. If you would like to see some video of Kevin Abel and Natalie Rushman and others. And um, that's been a lot of fun or, or cows there too with Andrew Vaughn. So they got a lot of the top kind of 10 projected guys down there. Yeah. But uh, I saw some UCLA ball. Um, I don't know where you want to start, Ralph. Where do you want to, you take Yeah. The so those. why don't you take me through UCLA? Because sure. I haven't been able to get out to the field. All my, my looks at college players have been simply on my television, yeah. streaming games on my computer, seen a lot of games, but I have not been there in person. So I want to hear about your in-person looks because sure. they always take precedence here. So sure. yeah, uh, yeah. tell me a little bit about UCLA. This is a stacked team. Yeah. O- offensively, they're, they're a really strong team. I think this team is built off their top end kind of talent offensively and their ability to get on base and stuff. And they have this kid, Ryan Garcia, is a right-handed pitcher who was shut down for about 10 or 14 days or so, but he'll hopefully be back for their deeper, you know, D1 college baseball tournament run and stuff. But uh, they started this kid, Zach Petaway. He wasn't bad. He's a sophomore. Um, added a slider this season, a little bit of a velo uptick. Pretty aggressive mechanics. He's got, like, a, a huge bounce off the mound. He gets, like, actually a little bit of hang time, which I, I can't say I love because it's just relatively inefficient in terms of where his weight's going and his transfer. But he was fun to watch. Pitched pretty well. I expect a little uptick from him. But the interesting pieces here are more so Chase Strumpf than Michael Tolia who are two kind of projected first-rounders, so to speak. Tolia right now I've seen on some outlets projected like top 15. But uh, from my looks at him, I think he's probably more of like a back-end of the first-round guy, maybe in that like that 20 to 30 window. Um, big first baseman, 6'4", switch hitter. Um, it seems like he's a pretty good defender at first. Didn't really get too, much, too many looks defensively at anyone this game. But he's got massive raw power. Um, I didn't get to see BP because it was raining and they delayed the start of the game. So we're taking BP indoors um, in their facility. But... Tolia took a pitch, like, inner third, deep out to right field, maybe in, like, the sixth or seventh inning of the game. And the bat speed is crazy good. Um, he's truly, like, a three-true outcome guy, which I think most people confirmed on the Cape. 
But I think the good thing about his his stints on the Cape is that the power's been there. The power's been there, I think, every time he's been on the Cape. Strikeouts have been there, too, and the walks have been there. But uh, he's he's hitting for power. It's just there's some movement. There's a little bounce in his hands when he loads, which I wish he could kind of smooth out. But something that seems maybe really just innate with him in terms of his swing. But uh, it's like a last-second like kind of stretch back with his hands back to create a little more hand separation. And then he flies through the zone. But I don't think he'll have too much trouble with pitches in the inner third. I think he's going to have some pitchers pit, uh, problems with like breaking balls away, obviously, as much as most of these guys do. Breaking balls in general and elevated fastballs he'll struggle with. But... I can't say I was in love with the overall profile of him. I think I was expecting a little more than I did see. Um, but he was fun. I just I just don't know. I guess I'm not completely wooed by him. Um, I like guys like Misner from, I'm not even sure, Miser, Misner, whatever his name is, from Mizzou a little Meisner, more. Misner, yeah. Misner. He's fun. There's a lot of other guys, I think, from seeing some video and looking through this draft class early that I like on the college the college bat side of things than Tolia. But he's up there. I just I just guess I wasn't blown away. And it could you know, maybe I saw a bad game. You never know. There's there's situations like this with this guy. So I'm not going to completely write him off. But um, the bat speed's there and the power's there. I just wish you could make a couple adjustments. Chase Strumpf, I liked a lot, actually. I think a lot of people are a little worried about what his defensive position is long-term, whether he kind of ends up in left field or whether he can actually be a viable second baseman. But his offensive profile is really good. I think he's a really stable hitter. I love how he centers his weight. His swing is nice. There's a good angle on it. It's not like a lot of these other guys in UCLA who have very level line drive to ground ball swings. He's a little more trained to like line drive to fly ball. I think he's got enough power to play up and actually maybe be like an average slightly above on the power side of things, hit 12 to like 16 a year at the major league level. Um, but yeah, the defense isn't great. Maybe the hit tool isn't as exceptional as it could be. But Pac-12 is a strong conference. I think this kid could play up a little bit. He had a massive walk-up tick in his sophomore year. That should sustain. If it improves at all, then you're looking at a guy who's walking more than he's striking out, which hopefully evens out to maybe like a, you know, like upper minor, 12% walk, 14% K guy, which would be really valuable on the OVP side of things. But Maybe utility profile long term, but I think there's a little bit of upside here, and I do like him a bit. Um, two later on guys, Chris, Car- or excuse me, Ryan Kreidler and Jeremy Yeddins, um, two guys who I thought had a little more line drive based swings, but um, I did like a bit. I was kind of getting mixed up, mixed up. Kreidler, I, I, I like a little more, I think, than Yeddins. Yeddins had like a preloaded stretch with his hands that I thought was limiting a lot of his, uh, um, his eventual power. And same with Kreidler too. I think if I'm thinking of the right video, Kreidler gets his foot down super, super early. And uh, I wish he could kind of get up off that, which may, again, but Kryler's probably the more interesting piece. I think he's probably like a maybe mid-teens to late mid-20s rounder-ish guy, depending on how he plays this season. Uh, he can stick on the left side, which is interesting. And then Matt McLean, who was drafted by the Arizona Diamondbacks late first round 2018, decided not to sign, came to UCLA as a Cal kid. They had a lot, a lot of Cal kids. I think there's only two kids on this present roster who are non, um, non-California guys, and one of them's Tolia. I think he's from Washington. Uh, that that north kind of northwest corner area, maybe it's Oregon, but um, McLean was probably the guy that I'm most intrigued by, simply because he's really young, and he's got a, a very similar structure swing to Strumpf actually, but Strumpf's loading his hands a lot more efficiently, a little bit more for power. McLean's a little still level with his swing, but his stats didn't show it. He was striking out a bit, but I actually thought his approach was really good. He saw spin really well. Um, I know the St. John's guy didn't have the best. A stuff that was a team they were playing uh, more of like kind of a mid-tier team they won their uh, conference last year but um McLean was fun man if he, he's playing center right now I talked to John Savage their coach and he said that eventually uh McLean's gonna end up in the middle infield probably at second base would be long term but you know say in 2021 when this kid's draft eligible as a junior he uh can play like a, a utility role where he's going second base to the outfield um center field I mean the fact that he's playing it now, this kid isn't going to slow down. It's not like he's going to slow down and get a frame. His frame's going to kind of play up a little too big. He's going to have to move off the position. Like he can play center. He's a shorter kid, but he's fun, man. I think there's a lot of these shorter kids that could get into a little more power. And McLean is the guy that I'm really, really going to watch over these next few years to see where his stock goes. But um, yeah, Strump Tolio, they're probably the guys for first player drafts to keep an eye on. Um, Otherwise, I mean, Kryler and Yens are super, super deep. I can't say uh, too much about them in terms of how much I would invest, but McLean would be a 2021 guy. I'm fascinated by so far. Um, Fun team, man. Yeah, nothing really on St. John's, but it was cool to see some baseball. It was my first baseball game uh, live I've seen probably in like five, six months. So uh, it was good. It was good to kind of buck that and then have to wait another month and a half or two now before uh, Wesley starts back up. But uh, but it was fun, dude. What about you? You saw some, I think, games you were watching, right? Any, anybody yeah. stand out? Yeah, so I'll start with sort of what I was watching last weekend. So uh, last weekend, I was I was lucky enough to catch some Grand Canyon, who I think is probably one of the sleeper teams to watch this year, probably sneaking into the tournament, I bet. Um, they're really interesting. They actually beat TCU on Friday night. That was a big upset. TCU is a top 25 team. Uh, they took out Wichita State uh, and Ball State. They look really good across wow. a bunch of different series. 
they're a really talented team. And it's like, they have all these different guys that seem to be almost football players. It's like they have a bunch of running backs playing baseball. <laughs> and even their first baseman is this kid, Kona Quiggle, who I've tweeted about. And uh, I think he played some outfield last year, but he's their first baseman. I think just because they have so many athletes in the outfield, one of them being Quinn cotton, who I talked about a lot. Uh, when I got my looks down the Cape, because he was one of the most impressive sort of hit tool speed leadoff type guys. And I love those types. So, um, we got cotton cotton had a big night last night, actually got some hits against, uh, Nick Lodolo, uh, a TCU who's one of the top pitchers in this draft. One of the top, I guess, three or four college arms. You'd probably say with Stinson Thompson and uh, some of those guys. So that was good to see. Um, other guy I, I caught, you know, the first weekend was uh, Kona Quiggle had a huge, huge weekend, had a big hit against uh, Ball State as well. But against Wichita State, he had, a, I think, a three for four game. Um, we scored maybe four runs, drove in maybe four or five, um, you know, pushed a, a, a gap double to a triple because he's got some speed in the bases. This is a guy that plays first base. He's a guy that's in about the 250 range, 230 to 250 range, depending upon whose ranks you look at uh, for this year's draft. I think there's an absolute chance this guy jumps up a lot because it seems like he's unlocked another gear in terms of the power. He's dropped his hands, made some swing adjustments from his first two years at Grand Canyon. And this is another big athletic kid was a football recruit, just like Quinn Cotton. Uh, and I think one to sort of keep an eye out for wouldn't shock me if this is a guy that has a good season, maybe still goes under the radar, ends up as like a sixth or seventh round pick and then really kills rookie ball and pops on everybody's radar. He's a really interesting player, and if he added the power that I think he's added over the first weekend throughout the season, uh, he could be one to watch as well as his Grand Canyon team. I like it, man. Yeah, I think coming into this weekend, too, little Adley Rushman talk maybe a little bit. I think he's – how many home runs has he hit? Jesus Christ. I, I saw uh, some breakdown of that swing, too, and it's gorgeous. It's a beautiful hand load. It's smooth, really good lower half engagement. He's 1-1 right now, right? Yeah. Oh, he's easy 1-1. I, yeah, I, think, I think it's 1-1. Probably Bobby Witt too, just because yeah. it's a short stop, and I think that that's. I think he, where might, he might. He might. I might. I think. I think he might. I, kick down a little too. I think there's. A I think that's where people. He, he could know, if he know. doesn't hit, but I think that's where people feel the Royals are sort of at. Um, that. That's that fair. seems yeah. to be consensus. So if that's the case, then I think you're talking about Andrew Vaughn, who I got a lot of looks at at the Cape. He's looked excellent so far. I think he had a bar, you know, going into Saturday's game. I think his walk to strikeout rate was nine to to one. Um, yeah. You know, some yeah. homers showing power. They essentially were pitching around him last weekend uh, and he still got a homer and just c- continues to get on base. He's a special guy despite being right, right first baseman, shorter, shorter. We talked about him on a draft pod today for prospects live. So you can probably catch a little more on that. One guy I did want to bring up though, before maybe we move on or kick it back to you was, um, JT Ginn, who was the, uh, Dodgers first round pick who didn't sign, decided to go camp on campus at Mississippi state. Uh, he's made two starts. He was really impressive today in an eight to one win. This is Saturday, um, over Southern miss, <clears throat> Went uh, seven scoreless innings, um, struck out nine, um, only allowed two hits and a walk. Uh, in the fastball was looking 90, topping out 94, 95, sat mostly 91, 93. Uh, slider was 81 to 85, had some nice tilts, some nice break on that. Uh, was able to get you know that back foot against uh, uh, lefties a couple of times to get him to chase. So uh, he's a really interesting guy, I think, to keep an eye on. He's obviously you know not going to be eligible until 2021. Uh, at this point, but certainly a name, I think, to, to sort of keep on the tip of your tongue and watch this season, because he's going to be one of the more sort of stellar freshmen uh, that we catch. And the numbers are always, already coming up good. I mean, Southern Miss, uh, though not a great school, is still a pretty good baseball program and a lot of talented kids there. So um, I thought that stood mm-hmm. out a little bit to me. Another guy and another team I think that's worth watching is uh, Elon uh, in, I think, North Carolina. And uh, they got a couple yeah. of pitchers there. Uh, guy George Kirby, who I caught in the Cape, really nice. You know, 92, 93, 94 times uh, on the Cape. He's got a nice um, curveball at like 78, 80. I'm just taking a look at my notes here. Um, and, you know, throws a slider as well. He's got a change up in like the low 80s. So he wasn't too bad. His numbers were pretty good in the opening weekend. Um, you know, there were a bunch of teams up in, in the Carol- down in the Carolinas, I guess, for me. Um, that were pretty impressive over the course of the weekend. And, uh, Elon was one of them. You know, they got a couple other guys, um, in that, in that, uh, rotation, I think Bronovich, and then they have a two way guy I'm trying to think about his name. I think it's, I'm, 
it's Ty Adcock, who is a, a right-handed pitcher. He's a converted catcher, plays a little outfield. He's got a lot of uh, power in the bat, you know, sort of a thumper. And uh, he was pretty impressive um, out of the pen, 94 miles per hour, 95, um, you know, three-quarters arm slot. He's pretty dirty. He's a big boy. So he might be another guy to keep an eye on. Elon is a team to watch. White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago, with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. This summer, enjoy a Plymouth Gin and Tonic. Just add tonic, ice, and a slice of orange for the perfect cocktail every time. Plymouth Gin is distilled using a blend of seven hand-selected botanicals, always staying true to Plymouth's original recipe. Plymouth Gin, since 1793. Uh, another sort of off-the-radar team I'll mention as well, because I love these sleepers, is uh, Campbell. They had uh, a guy that I caught in the Cape, a big masher. Oh, what's his name? I'm totally drawn a blank. He was the uh, MVP of the Cape League. And I'm... <laughs> I'm totally drawing a blank in the kid's name now. Uh, no, Gulia. Hold on, hold on. Uh, another guy we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out was Michael Massey, second baseman from Illinois. Uh, this is one of the better offensive second basemen in the draft. And that's sort of a, 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 a very shallow position in this draft. Tip, you know, historically is pretty shallow because guys sort of come out from uh, um, uh, other positions and sort of fill those roles. But I thought he was an interesting guy to take a look at. Um yeah, I don't know. There's there's a, a a lot going in college baseball. It's definitely worth tuning into because they're already in full swing and it's not spring games though. Spring games tend to be uh, one of the more exciting times for us here in the uh, in the prospect world. No, Lance, I'll figure out. Who I agree. I agree. I can't figure it out. <laughs> I was trying to stall there as much as as possible, but uh, I failed. But yeah, man, it's gonna be fun. A uh, quick question, uh, very specifically with the White Sox pick at three overall. Vaughn seems like he's going to go there right now. Uh, if you're the White Sox and you're looking at how many guys you think can eventually end up at first base on your team, are you trying to go down to a guy like Stott or Abrams or something or Corbin Carroll? Um, I think this is something they actually have to truly consider because if you have guys like Eloy, Jake Berger, Zach Collins, all these guys that can end up like first base DH, like, I don't know. Vaughn, like, probably is going to move off first. So if I'm the White Sox, do I want to right right first baseman with all that already known? I wonder if they are a team that maybe goes down and then Hoover's picking four gets a nice value on on the, on the right, right Vaughn or something. What do you think about that? Yeah. You know, it's tough, I, right. It's an interesting. It thought. was, it was a conversation we had earlier today. And I think there's a chance that maybe Abrams goes there. It wouldn't shock me. You know, maybe somebody falls in love with the Riley green. I think his hit tool is good enough yeah, uh, that yeah, he gets there. Point. Will Wilson, if, if he continues to hit for North Carolina state, I'm going to catch him at the beginning of April. We'll talk about my baseball schedule that I have planned out in a little bit. Some of the games are going to be catching. Love it. Um, I think he's going to be really interesting. Maybe he's there at four because he's a hit guy that plays good defensively. Um, you know, he's not a speed guy necessarily, but he is a good athlete in the field. So I think, you know, he's pretty interesting. Corbin Carroll's another guy that could sneak up some boards uh, from, you know, I think Lakeside High School up in Washington. Um, Espino, of course, could could sneak up some boards. Yeah. Brennan Malone, who I know. I still uh, go Misner, too. Yeah, I think he's gonna shoot. Misner, I think, could shoot up some boards. I mean, we're, we're talking about, you know, a very fluid situation at this point of a, a pretty deep uh, draft. So, yeah, I, I think that they could go another direction with Vaughn. But I do think the thing with Vaughn is it, it could sort of make up for some of the mistakes that they've made at first base and give them a big bat to sort of match with Eloy. Of course, you'd like to have a lefty to go with him. But I don't know, maybe he's the heir apparent to Jose Abreu, um, you know, who's going to be a couple of years older and, you know, two years down the road. Vaughn might be that guy and he's part of your core and he's such a special bat. Maybe they don't pass on him and they love college hitters. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see what they do, but um, they certainly could go a variety of different ways there, but I don't think Vaughn makes it past five. So I guess the question is, is he going to be the highest drafted first college first baseman ever? If we sort of throw um, Brendan McKay out at four as a left-handed pitcher because he's kind of a unique animal. And then it would be Pavin Smith at seven a few years ago. And I do think that Vaughn goes mm, for Smith, and I think he's much more talented than Smith. Um, sort of speaks volumes about the bats in this draft. Sure. I love the bats in this draft. I do. I think there's a ton of – Yeah, they're looking pretty good. Yeah. It's not not deep. There's a lot of like – I think it's like 
It's like Rushman, Clear One One, and then there's a lot of like two through like I, I mean I guess Wit and Vaughn stand out for sure, but like so let's say let's say like four through like fifteen. There's a lot of guys there that like can be nice and valuable. I think I think it's gonna be a really interesting draft. There's not a lot of guys that I think are like holy god, this kid is the second coming of X player. It's more like. This guy could be pretty good at the major league level. There's a lot of, like, 50s here, you know what I mean? There's a lot of, like, mixed-in 50s with a bunch of, like, 45-pluses where I'm like, okay, you get, you show me, like, one improved tool, and you're probably a 50 in the main no matter of no time. So um, I'm, I'm fascinated by this draft. It's fun so far. I definitely want to watch a little more of it. Um, what do you say we jump into spring training, which has started? Um, started Matthew on Barefoot. Thursday? No, Friday. Matthew Barefoot. That's the guy's name, Barefoot. From, what a name from Campbell that I was talking about. Yeah, he was the... Oh, uh, the Cape League MVP. Yeah, he was the uh, the the Pat Sorrenti MVP. There's a bunch of them, a bunch of different uh, uh, okay, okay. awards Didn't and stuff that. that they do. So, yeah, that would be uh, that would be Matthew Barefoot that goes to uh, Campbell. He's an interesting sort of power-hitting uh, 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 outfielder. So, yeah, you know, a little interesting. Got a little, got right. a little speed, got a little power, you know, definitely a good hit tool guy. Um, but yeah, another guy to sort of keep your eye on, but, uh, there's some interesting players in this draft too. We haven't even gotten to like guys like Adam Lasky or, uh, uh, Graham Stinson, who was actually down in terms of velocity a little bit across the board, uh, in his opening weekend, but I know he had a late start. So he was sort of, uh, on a pitch count and maybe wasn't going yeah, up hundred percent. Yeah. And it was cold yeah. in the Carolinas. So, uh, we'll see how that goes, but yeah, I don't know. Let's talk a little uh, spring training. Maybe some guys that, that we were watching. I think we both watched the Hazel Lizardo um, start. I know that you know mm-hmm. Brian Abreu is on right now, um, and I caught a little Red Sox earlier today. I saw Darwin's gone. Uh, Hernandez sort of dominate against the Northeastern Huskies, which big deal. He did what he's supposed to. <laughs> Threw a couple innings, struck out you know two innings, struck out three guys, didn't give him any hits, and he walks. Um, I think he's a sneaky guy. Um, in the pen as we jump into here and sort of these spring training talk, sure. I think him and Durbin Feldman are two guys to watch here in the, the Boston pen. Cause you have Barnes, you have, you know, Brazier, some of the other guys that are in the mix, but those two in particular for me are probably going to be the first two guys to get a shot at closing. I don't think they're going to resign Kimbrell because they want to stay under the luxury tax. They want to keep some money available for the next few years as Benintendi and, excuse me, Mookie and Xander and Benintendi. Some of these guys become, uh, you know, free agents. They want to be able to resign them and throw big money at them long-term with extensions, et cetera. So in order for them to be able to do that, they, they can't, um, hurt themselves with a long-term deal for Kimbrel, and I think the one-term things, one-year deal is probably out the window because they want to stay under the luxury tax this year. Um, so what that means is a team like the Red Sox could potentially go to internal options. Now they may not do that out of camp unless these guys are absolutely stellar. And I do think there's an outside chance they are because they're both dominant bullpen guys. We know that Darwin Gonzaga, Darwin Gonzaga, Darwin Hernandez during his time. <laughs> Um, in the Arizona Fall League, you know, was one of the spin rate darlings. He had one of the the, the highest spin rates in his fastball. It was 2,500 uh, RPMs plus. We know that you know his his breaking ball is uh, you know his his curveball had the highest spin rate of any breaking ball um, in in the Fall League. I think it was somewhere about uh, 2,800, 2,950. You know, it was just under 3,000 RPMs. So that's that's a serious spinner right there. Uh, he's got big stuff. He's got kind of crazy mechanics, um, left side, three, three quarter arm slot. He's a big boy at six, four, two forty. He threw a hundred innings last year, but I think that, you know, with their need and, you know, the likelihood of this guy actually developing into a starter that can start and log innings for the Red Sox in a competitive window in the AL East in that ballpark is probably pretty slim to narrow. So they might, you know, rocket this guy up as a potential pen arm, Durbin Feldman's a guy out of TCU who's been a closer, been a, 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 a sort of relief only prospect that got drafted last year. You don't see a lot of those guys, but I think he's very polished in that role. He's another guy that could give them good innings and he could be two of the, the nastier arms that they have. One of them could slot into the closer role that puts Barnes back into his natural role and Brazier, who was very interesting last year. I think he's still unproven. So um, if we're talking about some roles for maybe redraft and maybe even for dynasty guys that maybe you want to take a shot on because there's some opportunity there because I don't think the Red Sox would care so much about team control because it actually would be a cheaper option for them in terms of keeping them under, you know, um, uh, the luxury tax and some of those sort of salary constraints that they have. 
um, it might actually be their their best option this season. So um, look for those guys. Maybe take a look at them. Another guy mm-hmm. that I, t- I checked out was Michael Chavez. He's playing a little second base. He hit an oppo taco homer tonight uh, uh, or today uh, down the right field line. He looked pretty good. Um, you know, bat speeds there. He hits the ball really hard. I'll see Raphael Devers too, for our dynasty guys. I know he's no longer a prospect. Devers was really slimmed down, looked really, really good, looked better in the field, looked, you know, pretty good at, you know, up at, up at the plate. The uh, approach looked a little bit better than look. He was chasing as much. It's only a few at bats, so I can't read too much into it, but, um, it looks like he really spent, uh, the winter applying himself and sort of honing his game. Don't forget. He's only 22 years old. I think it's easy to forget that. So, uh, those are some of the interesting guys that I watched. I want you to talk a little bit about Lazardo. One thing that I will say is he didn't have a great outing, um, had a couple of bad bounces in terms of defense. Like there were two errors in that inning. Um, but that kid has some serious action on the fastball. It's really striking uh, when you get to watch it on video. Just tons of downward plane and just a- absolutely nasty bite and sort of tail, uh, especially off the plate on lefties and then and then in. Uh, in on righties and uh, that's going to be a nasty pitch to hit. And then his, his changeup as well. I know that the uh, pitching ninja had jiffed up uh, one of the better ones, but uh, that pitch has some really nasty sort of bite and fade, um, you know, to the, to the arm side. So uh, I'm interested to see cause his, his, mm-hmm. his fastball and his career is changeup break in different directions. It's one of the reasons that he was amongst, um, you know, one of the better, uh, excuse me, one of why he was amongst one of the leader, the leaders in swing strike rate for pitchers that had, you know, a hundred plus to, you know, 130 innings. I think when I did these, these, uh, um, searches today, uh, I think he was in maybe the top 15 for pitchers that had 120 innings or so. So, um, he's got the swing and miss stuff. He's got control. Um, it's just about that third pitch. And I think that's really what's going to dictate how successful he is at the major league level this year. Um, I know I ran really long and I was going to kick it over to you, but I'll still kick it back to you. Cause I'm sure you noticed things I did. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, no, I, I'd echo a lot of what you said on the Zard. I think he was one guy because baseball was back and I was just like, so enamored that I was like, I need to put this random Mariners A's game on. But I mean, I, I thought I found a lot of value in that, that I think I, I put it on video and tossed on my Twitter, um, the Evan White Lizardo AB. Because that's that's what you're gonna see, I think, Lizardo. That's gonna be a key. I think Lizardo's gonna have no problem with left handed hitters. He's gonna have he's gonna he's gonna have to step up against some righties. Right? He's a better approach like like Evan White, um, where he was able to foul off a lot of the breaking balls and sliders that that Lizardo was trying to throw over the zone. Cause like that slider's action lefty on righty is interesting because he's got to bury that back foot and he was bare he was trying to like put that below the zone more so seemed like he was spotting that pitch more just straight below the knees as opposed to getting that on back foot like you see guys like sale like throw that pitch back foot where the guy's swinging through and it's breaking but lozardo was putting that pitch more kind of in the zone to shortly below the zone as opposed to inside and i i think he probably tends to throw that inside more than anything but to get that pitch to work well, and to be able to work back to his change of his fastball, I think he has to execute that a little better than he did in that game. But then again, it's only one, it's a, it's one game. It's, a, it's really early. He's obviously going to get a lot more looks. He's obviously going to be up this year. We're not really sure when. I doubt it's up for, I bet he's up maybe mid-May or something like that. Um, maybe a little later than that. But um, I don't think he's going to break camp or anything. But yeah, the changeup, I was encouraged by the changeup as well because that's the other pitch he's going to have to use a lot versus versus right-handed hitters to be able to get them out. And uh, it looked decent. I thought that that one whiff was pretty good. Um, I don't know if he threw one in the Evan White at bat. I was trying to figure it out because it's tough to actually watch games with no velo uh, and no, like, anything. <laughs> I was realizing that. Like, generally, I can tell what a pitcher's throwing, but, like, especially lefty with an offset to the to the guy's right shoulder camera angle, it's tough to see the fade action on a pitch like that. It's just almost wiped out of the visual. But, uh, yeah, change look good for the most part, and uh, he's interesting. He's a very interesting player. I think that the, basically him and those three pitches versus right-handed hitters is going to be big. If there's any inconsistency with him, I think he could get beat up a little bit early just because he's going to have to have both those pitches working on right-handed hitters to be able to be like exceptionally successful, I think. But he's going to decimate lefties. That slider's tough, tough, tough for lefties to hit. So I liked him. Uh, I'm going to go back probably tonight and watch Joe Adele's at-bats. Um, I think he was over two, but no strikeouts. It looks like he stranded a few runners. I want to see that. I want to see Brian Abreu through, I believe, an inning and two-thirds, gave up a run, a hit, and a strikeout. That was tonight on the 23rd of February, the Saturday night. Um, I don't really know if I've seen any else. I was at Baseball HQ's first pitch forum today, so I didn't really get to see any of these games. But I saw Peter Alonzo's homer, and that was really impressive. I, I think I'm still kind of confused as to how he hit a ball in the outer third or slightly Off-tookie. outer third like that. Off-tookie. He, he looked. 
off Tukey, but he hit the ball. I look like when he swings, that ball looks like it's going dead center. And somehow that ball went like slightly left of center, like almost pull, which is, I'm going to, that's such a goddamn testament to his bat speed. It's unbelievable because I don't know how he's able to get his hands around on that pitch and pull that pitch. Just a little bit. It's only a little to his pull side, but the average power is going to go to right center with that pitch. Like a J.D. Martinez or any of these other guys is going to take that to center to right center. And Peter Alonso pulled it, and I'm so confused as to how he did that. It was just maybe my perception of it was off when I watched the highlight in terms of where that pitch was, but that pitch looked at her third to me. I have no idea how he pulled that pitch. So props to him, man. He's going to be he's going to be fun because he's going to hit a bunch of homers, but he's going to strike out a lot and probably not really hit for mm. average. But hey. That doesn't matter. You give him 30 home runs. It's fun for the Mets. Um, Joey Bart, too. Heard he's on the Major League roster. Um, or not, excuse me, not Major League roster. Uh, uh, spring invite. So he's going to fly through their system, I think, actually. Um, he's one of those guys. I'm not exactly sure what Posey's contract terms are, but Joey Bart, man, I'm, I'm interested to see him. I know I liked what I saw setup-wise from JP in terms of some of the swings he saw, and uh, he's going to be fun. Um, I'm not really sure who else I'm looking forward to watching, but I'm sure I'm missing a ton, a ton of names. But um, for next week, I think we'll have a lot more looks in terms of guys we've seen. Maybe maybe highlight some spring performances and such. But for now, right, we're just kind of we're kind of working with small samples, which is completely fine because it allows us to kind of dig a little deeper on one or two guys, which is always really fun. And I love seeing these uh, better prospects versus some upper level um, pitching and on better cameras, better cameras than MILB TV has is great. I have to tell you, <laughs> it's one of the one of the tiny tiny uh, fantastic things I love about spring training is seeing some prospects in in clear footage, which is always very nice instead of looking at grainy MILB TV cameras. But maybe you never know, Ralph. Maybe they updated all those for this year. They probably didn't, but I'm I'm being hopeful. Uh, <laughs> any other spring training thoughts? Or you want to jump into some of the prospects we're excited to see yeah. in our respective leagues let's, on the Northeast? Let's Midwest. do that because we've only had two days of spring training, so cool. there's only so much we can talk about. We'll save that for next week and yeah, there's only in the coming time. weeks where there's some guys that are potentially breaking. Yes. camp so yeah why don't why don't you hit me with uh some of the guys you're interested in maybe seeing in the midwest league yeah we'll go we'll go one and back one and back and forth here uh i'll start with brian rocchio uh shortstop for the uh, cleveland indians should jump to lake county captains and play i hope starts the season there in the midwest league so the kind of west of chicago midwest league should be pretty loaded i think for the most part which i'm pretty happy about um and this will be fun man i i'm excited to see brian rocchio he's a contact first shortstop not really too much strikeouts not really too much walks a little more kind of putting the ball in play which i think is good for the middle wesley because i think it's gonna be a bit of a challenge usually guys who are successful here um are not putting the ball in play a ton they're probably hitting home runs more than anything or working with obp and working with walks just because it's so pitching dominant so brian rocchio with his approach versus some of these midwest league pitchers i think if he succeeds that's going to be a huge testament to his actual ability seems like he's an above average shortstop some contact a little projected power he's off that front foot a little which i really like i like the swing a little quiet uh, it should be an advanced bat for the midwest league i think he should hit pretty well i'm really excited to see him early um, and um, fun, man. I think he's a guy who could probably be hopping to some top 100, especially if there's some projection for him to stick at shortstop long-term. How about you in the Eastern League? Anyone jump out? Yeah, Same so thing? I have my... We don't know rosters yet. We're speculating. Yeah, so I have my <laughs> baseball schedule out, and, um, you know, i got a lot of college games on there. I'm going to see a lot of guys in Florida when I'm there from the 16th to the 22nd, so I'll see a lot of guys that are in the Florida State nice. League. You know, I'll catch this guy to Jason and Collar and some of those dudes. But um, the first series I think I'll get professionally here is going to be Binghamton from the fourth to the seventh. So I'm really excited to see uh, Andres Jimenez because I would imagine he spent, you know, the tail oh, end cool. of last year there should start the year there this year. I doubt they, they, they push him up to triple A. That would be really, really aggressive. Um, and even then I would probably see him in Pawtucket with Syracuse. So I'll probably see a fair amount of uh, Jimenez. I'll see him that first series. I'm going to have Redding the following series. Maybe I'll get uh, a look at potentially Adonis Medina. We'll see how aggressive they are with Spencer Howard. If they have him skip a full level, if they do have him go to the Florida state league, um, we'll probably see Adam Hazley there. So I think those are probably some interesting guys. I know I just named three, um, when I was supposed to only name one, but <laughs> Andres Jimenez is one that <laughs> I'm going to do more. Yeah. So maybe we're going snake. So awesome. we're going snake. So I'll go, I'll go. Hazley yes, is, is the next guy that I'm, ta- I'm going to be taking a look at because I got the camera, I uh, got that from her birthday, so I'm going to be setting that up to maybe maybe get hey. some open face looks at Hazley and that big leg kick, and see if he's made any adjustments this year to get to some more power. Yeah, Hazley's a fun one. I always like I like that stance. I always think he's like an old timey guy because of how he sits on that on that back back leg. It's fun. He's fun. Um, my second is going to be Cole Rodier, who should start in South Bend. South Bend is actually where the uh, Midwest League All Star game is. So if I'm still out here. 
by uh, June-ish, late June. That's going to be a very short drive for me, so I'll be very excited to hit that again. That was fun seeing Kirloff and Lewis last year. But Cole Radier is a 19-year-old. Cub system left-left, smaller outfielder, some uh, decent projection. Looks like if he makes a jump forward in a variety of things, I think there's a legitimate chance this kid is a really nice outfield speed power threat. Um, graded out as kind of like a 50 hit, maybe above average to slightly plus game power, which is maybe a little aggressive, but it's what I've heard. So um, that is fun. And the fact that you add in, he's probably an above average runner. 13 bags last year in rookie ball, 13 for 17 overall, decent percentage. Um, he's fun. Maybe there's some room to fill out here. Um, he's six foot 175. I don't know if I mentioned that already, but great, great, great showing. I believe in, uh, down in, down in rookie ball that really made him pop. And he's a guy who's got some approach too. We're talking about Rokio. He's more of a kind of contact based guy. Radier's a little bit more of a power based OBP ish. He was rocking like a 350 OBP in rookie ball. And, uh, just productive all around and i think that he's gonna be really really interesting um yeah nico horner i missed last year because he got hurt immediately and then obviously now with his stint in, in the uh arizona folly he's not starting back in south bend so corridor is the commodity in south bend and i think it'll be fascinating and i'm i'm interested i really hope there's some legitimate speed and power projection because i i feel like i don't really get too many tooled up outfield outfielders in the midwest league i feel like i get a lot of pitchers and a variety of other things at least from those i've seen maybe i've missed all the tooled up outfielders but um, yeah, I think there's some, there's a shot. It's Cole Rodier. So I'm really excited to see him. Um, Ralph snake for me. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to go with, uh, Kevin Smith. Um, he's a guy that, uh, kind of tore up a couple levels of a ball last year. Uh, you know, uh, college guys spent this time at Maryland, pretty good bat contacts and power, a lot of bat speed, uh, guy that Jason Waddell likes quite a bit. Cause he got a, a lot of time in at Lakeland last year, excuse me, Lakeland at Dunedin last year, checking him out. So take his word for it. He's a guy that should probably make his way up to double a, I would imagine out of camp. Uh, so I'm pretty excited to check him out. He should be, uh, another bat, uh, that's pretty interesting in the middle infield, um, in that, uh, uh, New Hampshire lineup for consecutive years after having Biggio and, and, and Bichette there last year, I would imagine Bichette probably starts the year at triple a, but maybe there's a, sh- a shot. He spends a month or two at double a again. I don't know. Yeah, I think there's a shot, maybe. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he jumps up. I feel like he played enough games at double-A. Hopefully he jumps up to, bu- to Buffalo. And then they hold him there for another, like, three years for service time considerations. Anyways, uh, Christian Robinson is my three. Uh, should get out to King County. It's probably the closest one to Chicago. Um, and it's not really a nice stadium. But um, they had Jazz Chisholm last year I saw a little bit of. And Christian Robinson might be there. And he's a legitimate another kind of crazy power guy. I mean, this is another guy with a high K decent walk, get on base, but the power here is, is really the calling card. I really like swing seems relatively compact. Um, I believe he played pretty well. Let me pop him some stats here on Chris Robinson. If my fangrass page will load in the meantime, mm. I will have to stall. He was born on December 11th, which is exactly a week before me. He's six, three, one ninety. He's turning. Wow. He's only an 18. Yeah, I thought he was already. 19, yeah, no, 20. he's 18. Cordier was 19 turns 20, but good, good this approach. kid is young. I really hope that he starts. Yeah. Good approach. He was stealing some bags too, which is kind of the impressive part. He was getting caught a ton. So going to have to probably tone that down, but this is going to be like a 30 plus percent, 15, uh, 30 plus percent strikeout, 15 plus percent walk. Um, with obviously some real inflation in terms of rookie ball on his variety of things. But I, I feel like strikeouts and walks are generally what I look at in lower levels of the minor like this. And uh, he's got legitimate power. It's probably grading out easy above average game, maybe a little above that. So this could, could be like a 30-plus home run guy if he can tune the uh, strikeouts down a little bit. And uh, fun frame, a little outfield action. I think he's probably more average outfield, good arm, so maybe he projects to be right field. But uh, really excited to see some power. So... There's some really fun commodities that I think are kind of uh, have a variety of outcomes depending on how they play in the Midwest League. And uh, it's Brian Rocchio, Corrodier. I even think Ryan Weathers, I want to get some more looks. I know you're not the biggest fan of him, Ralph, but um, his feel is pretty good in the game I saw, and he's going to pound those. Oh, yeah, I don't so think he's bad. Maybe he's one of those guys not that exciting. just ends up at the major league level. And, you know, no, just not exciting. That's probably a good way to yeah. put it. But Robinson is very exciting, and I'm, I'm pretty interested to see him. Yeah, so the next guy I'm going to throw out there is a pitcher that I'm hoping to catch. And actually, I'll go pair here because I, I get the snake, right? So, uh, sure. Yeah, Adon- Adonis Medina, uh, who's a, uh, a right-handed pitcher for uh, the Phillies organization, should be able to catch him. Another guy I should be able to catch is um, uh, Mauricio Yovera, uh, who uh, is another guy that I think is sort of an under-the-radar arm that that's pretty good. He showed pretty well last year. Those guys, um, uh, Adonis threw 111 innings um, at, uh, at at high A. And uh, Mauricio threw 121. 
both had a lot of strikeouts. You know, strikeout rates were good. They missed a fair amount of bats. Um, you know, decent control from both. Kind of interested to see what they do. Um, so I'll probably catch them. I'm going to guess if they're assigned to Double A in that opening series, they might be in that uh, in that lineup. It's going to make force me to go to back to back games for sure. So um, yeah, those are my last two picks. But nice. those are guys I'm excited to see. Want to see some good arms because there weren't a lot of good arms last year in the Eastern League. No, very fair. Anything else in this front, Ralph? Are we good for today? I think we're good we for today, man. We, we I'm excited to see spring training, man. Yeah, all, all levels of baseball. Baseball's back. Baseball is back, baby. Ready, ready to roll. Rocking and rolling. Love it. All right, guys. Well, that's another week of the Radball <laughs> right. Prospect Podcast. Uh, for Ralph and for Lance, adios. Privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting enrolls for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one Text the word grade to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text grade to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text grade to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text grade to 323232 now. Text grade to 323232. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting enrolls for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232.